Dunker Punk listeners, what has been your biggest challenge lately? Think that through while you listen to our favorite music by Jacob Krauss. I don't want to be rich, don't want to be popular, don't want to be selfish, no. I don't want to be a goat, don't want to be ignorant, don't want to be blindfolded, I just want to be countercultural. Don't wanna be violent, don't wanna have a vendetta, don't wanna be vengeful, no. I don't wanna be a soldier, don't wanna be militaristic, don't wanna help that cycle, I just wanna be a countercultural pacifist. I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgment, don't want to hold grudges, don't want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't want to burn petrol, don't want to eat perfect fruit, don't want to feel guilty, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving organic gardener. I want to be authentic, I want to be radical, I want to be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I want to be humble, I want to be progressive, I want to be open, I'm inspiration, I want to be like John Wesley, or Sarah Major, or Anna Mao, I want to be like Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk Lim, Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, Jesus Christ, but mostly, I just want to be me. I just want to be me. Welcome back, listeners. I'm Nancy Fitzgerald, your host for this episode of the Dunker Punks podcast. We have a very challenging listen for you today. And you get a bonus because you get to hear both Emmett Eldred, the founder of DunkerPunks.com, and Samuel Sarpia, whom he interviews. Both of them challenge me. Emmett has brought us content before, and his very DunkerPunk perspective is always a check for me on how I'm living what I say I believe, and that is the way of Jesus. This interview with Pastor Samuel Sarpia is even more challenging as you hear about his work in Rockford, Illinois, with city youth, adults, and police to bring conflict transformation into the normal interactions of every day. Also, they do new skill training for today's digital age. Wow, just putting all that together in sentences pulls me to evaluate and listen to my own call. And Church of the Brethren listeners get a bonus because Samuel is moderator-elect of our annual conference. I'm sure you will be listening for a challenge as you hear Emmett introduce this interview.
Monks. I'm really excited to bring you a conversation that I had recently with Samuel Sarpia. Samuel, in my opinion, is one of the most uh, dynamic and exciting people uh, that you can meet in the Church of the Brethren today. He's the pastor and church planner of the Rockford Community Church, a Church of the Brethren congregation in Rockford, Illinois. He's also one of the founding members of the Center for Nonviolence and Conflict Transformation, which helps bring our brethren ideals about nonviolence into the 21st century. How can we actually embody our principles as we seek to tackle the social issues that we find in our communities today? And on top of all of that, uh, Samuel also serves as the moderator-elect for the Church of the Brethren, which means that in about a, in a few months at this next annual conference, he'll take over uh, to be the moderator for our denomination. You know, Samuel would definitely probably protest me saying this, but... Uh, of all the people that I know in the Church of the Brethren, he might be the one who most reminds me of those brethren that you learn about at camp and Sunday school. People like John Klein, people like Anna Mao, Sarah Major, uh, just people that actually live into their principles in a really fresh, innovative way, making them relevant to their context, to their political moment, to their moment in history. Uh, Samuel has done a really excellent job of taking these ideas about nonviolence, about conflict transformation, and bringing them into a relevant context, showing how our principles about um, a peaceful, simple, community-oriented way of living uh, really has something important to say about the context, the political moment that we find ourselves in today. You know, people are divided. There's a lot of anxiety right now. We see it in our political processes. We see it in our own um, activities as a denomination. And so I think that uh, learning about how to transform situations of conflict into productive situations, learning how to embody the nonviolent and really transformative love of Jesus in relevant ways is something that we, um, that we really need to take away from Samuel. And this is not the least of which, because how can we, as a denomination, witness about conflict transformation, witness about communal love, if we as a denomination can't learn how to live with one another? This is one of many reasons that I'm so excited that Samuel is our annual conference moderator. Uh, I really look forward to the vision that he'll bring uh, to that office. As he discusses in this podcast, it's really one of the most altruistic um, positions of service that you can be called to hold. Um, he, he talks about how um, it's not a position with a lot of power, and that's, that's, that's pretty well suited for the way that we brethren look at the world, um, that we wouldn't have someone with a lot of power at the head of our um, denomination, but that we have someone who is able to direct our conversations, uh, give us wisdom, and I think you'll hear how much wisdom Samuel has about how uh, to move forward as one body. The other reason that I'm so excited for this conversation um, is because I think that what Dunker Punks is all about is learning how to become disciples of Jesus who bring the way of Jesus forward into the 21st century. Our whole purpose of being countercultural is to say that the culture that in which we live, especially Western uh, American culture that is so militaristic and individualistic, really in a lot of ways runs up against and contradicts uh, the Jesus way that we see in the gospel. A way of humility, a way of service, a way of love in action. We talk at length about Samuel's experience of bringing his discipleship for Jesus uh, forward and using it to meet the needs of his community. 
And Samuel really intentionally dispels the myth that any church can be off the hook of serving its community and addressing the needs that it finds. As Samuel will point out, Rockford Community Church is a church inside a cornfield that has a ministry that is 80% focused on serving people in the inner city. There are a whole lot of brethren churches inside cornfields, but I'm not sure that every brethren church has such a service-oriented ministry. Now, every community has needs. Every community has people thirsting for the mercy and the message of Jesus. And every community, for sure, is thirsting for Christians who really embody the life, the lessons, and the love of Jesus. And the other reason that I like this conversation so much is that Samuel brings forward a number of very important challenges that we have to take seriously as we seek to sort out what does it mean to follow Jesus in today's world. He very forcefully pushes back on the urge to politicize our faith, to use the paradigms of right versus left, Republican versus Democrat, progressive versus conservative, to set the goals and the agenda and the benchmarks against which we measure whether we are living into our faith accurately and successfully. Now, anybody who knows me knows how much I engage with and think about and participate in politics. So Samuel's words were very important for me to hear. As I continue to think about what is the appropriate way to live into politics as we seek to embody our faith and be disciples of no one else and nothing else but Jesus. This isn't something that I know everyone listening to this podcast will come away with a definitive answer on. But I think that Samuel does provide a helpful challenge, an important reminder that when we politicize our faith, we diminish it. And instead of seeking the lesser of two evils, it is our job always to fix our minds, our bodies, our hearts, and our spirits upon the greatest of all goods. So without any further ado, please listen and enjoy and be challenged and provoked by this extremely interesting and substantive conversation that I had with Samuel. Samuel, how are you? I'm doing good, and how are you? Good, thank you. Is this still a good time to talk? Yes, uh, it's about the best time that I can give you my undivided attention. All right. Well, I, yeah, thank you very much for making the time, and uh, I'll try to try to get you out of here so it doesn't take up too much of your time. But I've, we're very grateful. Okay. All right. So, uh, welcome to the uh, Dunker Punks podcast. Uh, would you just like to uh, introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Samuel Sarpia uh, from Rockford, Illinois. And could you just go a little bit into your uh, into your background? What do you do? What like what's your day job? Oh wow, my day job is I wear multiple hats. <laughs> my first full time day job is a father and father of three daughters. 
And of course, I, that means I have a wife, we are married, and my wife is full-time stay-at-home mom because my other day jobs take so, so much of my time. Uh, so my other primary job is to be a pastor and church planter in Rockford, Illinois. And pastor and church planting, you know, there's a multiple facet to look at church planting from my understanding. You can look at church planting by just gathering people on a Sunday, uh, which is one aspect of church planting. But the second aspect of church planting uh, that I look at is a Monsieur day, joining God in what God is doing in the community. And also that means being the kingdom of God and intentionally our church plant as from inception, from the time we started this church in, uh, in 2009, our intention is not just to have a Sunday gathering and we think that we are now the church. Our intention is how do we bring the kingdom of God in the community of our calling? What that means that our church will have an impact in the social sphere, the political sphere, uh, the community, the socioeconomic sphere, that we are able to be a voice for those that are voiceless, and not only that, but we are able to become a shoulder to which they can stand on and get and have a voice for themselves and be able to step out of the condition that uh, that puts them in a state of being voiceless. So we are involved in multiple projects as a church, not just, like I mentioned, not just Sunday service, but we're involved in projects like running a conflict transformation uh, nonviolence and conflict transformation center where we try to be the voice that brings peace and reconciliation as a part of our heritage in an, a church that is recognized as a historic peace church. We don't want it to just be historical, but it's living, relevant, current, modern, and future peace church. So we do that through a mobile tech lab as by way of lifting the community up economically, teaching them coding, uh, that's computer coding, um, graphic design, web design, in our 30-foot mobile trailer, as well as nonviolence and conflict transformation, beginning with smaller conflict within themselves. Uh, these are most, most especially communities that are economically impoverished. As, and then on the flip side, we work with the police department to educate them on, on King's philosophy of nonviolence and community building. And on that aspect, we've been able to be technically successful if we're user based on what the progress we see, I'll say is successful because it has helped the law enforcement in Rockford to begin to see a different aspect to policing that is not really about, uh, that it's not really about uh, climbing down on crime, but it's about proactive policing, a policing where the community and the police work together to address issues that arises or even address issue before it arises. Uh, like sometimes in a mobile tech lab, you will see law enforcement officers hanging out with kids and just helping them even with processing some of the graphic design. Uh, that they do, or sometimes they they're around our mobile lab playing balls catch with the kids, and this is continued. This is a work that is continuing to build relationship and reconciliation where there has been friction. Right. Yeah, definitely the the center of um, 
nonviolence and conflict tra- transformation was something that I wanted to to hear more about. Um, could you just describe like what is what is the Rockville community in which you work like? Like what are what are the challenges that it faces? What are the um, assets and opportunities that it has uh, in your mind as you move forward with working with that community? Okay, let me correct your name. It's Rockford. Oh, Rockford. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, Rockford, Illinois. And there's Rockford all around the country, I believe, because some names are so similar. Right. <laughs> so uh, Rockford, Illinois, it's one of those communities, I will say, at a crossroad. Uh, it is a rust belt mid, mid, uh, mid every May, uh, middle, middle America. A city, it's a mid-sized city with a population of about 170,000. Uh, it hovers between the second largest city in the state of Illinois, following Chicago, which is a couple of million. So you can see mm-hmm. the difference. Um, so Rockford has been impacted by the massive industrial move in the last 20, 30 years. Uh, so that has created a vacuum of so much boarded houses, so much poverty overnight a community that people used to be employed and unemployment just skyrocketed we have the highest unemployment rate in the state and we have and in the highest unemployment rate that automatically tells you the minority communities of color are highly are impacted higher and so and so that translate into the situ- the state of the public school and that translate into the state of crime we're always kind of top on the list of crime, but I think one of the reasons about the top list of crime is because earlier on in 2009, uh, the community, as part of our work here, with the Rockford Police Department, worked towards an agreement of uh, purchasing what we call the early warning system software. And what that means is every crime, every little thing get reported as a crime. So it get documented. So if the police department receives a call, uh, I see a suspicious person walking around my neighborhood, it get recorded as a crime. So that blows the statistics off the roof because everything is documented. So, and that's because of transparency. Uh, but despite that, you, we have seen in our work together with law enforcement and the communities, we have seen a radical shift in the direction of how do we address these challenges. And some of the solution that we have arrived at as a community is to have neighborhood strong houses. And I'll break what that means. Neighborhood strong houses are homes that a partnership between United Way, the Rockford Police Department, and the community decided to buy a house, uh, a house that has been either either uh, boarded and the city or belongs to the city. They turn it into a community center, but not a community center in the com- in the sense of a community center, but it's a house where kids in that neighborhood can go to after school, where a community service officer and other volunteers in the community will help the kids with their homework. So it's a house that is a police department, but it's not a police department. And if a citizen feel unsafe, they can run to that house for safety in their neighborhood. 
And we have so far, I think there's about five or six of those houses around the city of Rockford. So that has been very positive. And there was a, recently there was an article in the newspaper that says all the places where the neighborhood strong houses are, they've seen a reduction in crime. Mm-hmm. And so and that applies to our mobile tech lab as well. Our mobile tech lab, we have two 30-foot trailer. And inside the two 30-foot trailer, one of the 30-foot trailer, we call it a mobile tech lab, and the other one is a mobile art lab. Uh, in the mobile tech lab, we have a music recording studio, and we have a computer uh, station, like 10, 10 computers, where we teach computer coding, because that's the new manufacturing. Uh, while in the music room, uh, kids come in, we write out a beat, they mime, they write the song, we record it, sing it along with them, voila, we print out, we give them uh, uh, an MP3 recording of their song. So that has been a draw for most of the teens and young adults that are feeling lost in the sea of uh, economic uh, disparity. So that's the work, and Underneath is we're teaching non-violence and we're bringing the message of peace and reconciliation, the message, the teachings of Jesus that says, when I am hungry, you gave me to eat. When I am thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And so we look at our work as being hands and feet of Jesus in where the needs are. Uh, Because for us, our true followership of Jesus cannot just be we talk about it, but we live it out as well as we share it with the community. And I've often been asked by community members, because I don't introduce myself as a pastor, I introduce myself as Samuel. So as we can, as I have conversation with communities, they ask me, so uh, why are you doing what you're doing? And basically, I tell them the Jesus story. I tell them the gospel story, mm-hmm. of how it has impacted my life, and how I long for the same gospel to be a living testament in your own life as well. And so, uh, because I'm not hiding the fact that I'm a pastor, but I don't, when the moment you say you're a pastor, you already have built a wall that shouldn't have existed. But the moment we have that conversation and they realize I'm a pastor, it breaks down, the wall has already been broken, so it becomes real that a pastor is a real human like they are. (laughs) Pastor is somebody who cares for their well-being, does not just concern about their soul being saved and being shipped or bus somewhere. Right. It's concerned about their existence today, tomorrow, and whatever the future holds. So something that I wanted to ask you is that um, your community of Rockford is is pretty different from the um, the general brethren community in a number of ways. Typically, uh, most brethren congregations are located in uh, often more rural areas or smaller towns. There's few brethren communities in cities as, even as big as 170,000, though there are a few in um, major urban centers as well. So um, as such, a lot of the problems and um, obstacles that uh, communities where there are a lot of brethren churches face are very different. Um, so how, first of all, um, just in general, how would you say are the best ways that churches can go about identifying the needs of their communities and addressing those needs? And then second of all, a lot of members of the Church of the Brethren um, care about issues like the ones that you've mentioned, um, particularly 
the ways that our um, social structures unfairly and disproportionately uh, impact uh, communities of color. But at the same time, we don't live often. We don't live among communities of color. So how do we go about um, working within our communities and in our context while still trying to uh, achieve um, goals like racial justice in a way that is um, helpful and not uh, appropriative or overwhelming? I'll begin by saying, actually, my church is located in the cornfield. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's this underlying saying in the city of Rockford, that when you ask people in Rockford, where is Rockford Community Church? They'll tell you it is one of the mega churches in town. Simply because they don't know where we are located. Uh, our church is five miles outside of the city. Mm-hmm. It's in the corn, surrounded by cornfield, but 80% of our ministry happens in the inner city. Right. So I, I say by way, by way of saying this is that I don't think any church can say per se that we're in a rural town and there is no need. I have seen the need in some of those needs and not necessarily just amongst people of color, but amongst across racial line. So for every community, every church of the Brethren can be able to look at their community and seek to identify the need and address the need. And for those churches that lives very in close proximity to cities where they are, there's uh, ethnic diversity, I think they might not be the ones that go ahead, go out and start such initiative uh, because they don't live there, but it's to look scope around what are the community, what are the other community groups that are working in these areas of racial and socioeconomic justice that we can partner with uh, to come as a support to bring our own faith tradition into the mix. Uh, because really, uh, I think there is a longing out there for the brethren way of life, the mm-hmm. simplicity, the peacefully, uh, the seeking to be together. The, the, there's that big longing out there, uh, but we as brethren tend to undermine the impact of the message of the gospel that we carry by remaining in our own cluster. And it's been doing a disservice to us. So for me, I'll say to every brethren congregation, the need is out there and we are called to be what Jesus did. You know, Jesus had some crazy bad habits. <laughs> and some of the bad habits of Jesus is going out, out of his way to hang out under with the woman at the well at Samaria. Some of the bad habits of Jesus is to go out and, and dine with Zacchaeus. Some of the bad habits of Jesus that we see is as he travels, he said he, 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 he come to a stop and address the woman with the issue of blood, even though he was heading to go address, to go heal a Jairus's daughter who is a rich young ruler. But he does all this crazy, we will consider it bad habit, probably being late for his appointment, but Jesus was constantly looking out, not only uh, surrounded by his own uh, cluster of 12 in a safe neighborhood, but he's always out there. So every church of the brethren is called upon to be out there. Uh, you know, I see the impact of our work globally, but mm-hmm. somehow domestically we need to relook at our environment, mm-hmm. look at our communities and see where we can, we can be, uh, we can make a greater impact as well.
Well, I think that's one of the reasons that uh, I wanted to speak with you, and I thought that you would make such a great uh, witness for the listeners of our podcast to hear from, because so many um, churches and congregations in the Church of the Brethren, uh, we're very uh, cognizant of our tradition and our heritage as a peace uh, fellowship, um, but at the same time, we don't necessarily always identify ways in our communities to bear those principles forward um, and find ways in this 21st century to uh, really enact those principles, especially around uh, conflict transformation, peacemaking, even simple living and community um, oriented ministry. So um, just speaking in general, what would you say are the best ways that um, uh, listeners of this podcast, members of the Church of the Brethren can carry some of those brethren traditions forward and make them relevant to today? I will say avoid being politicized. Avoid politicizing your message. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's what I mean. I'll give a simple, illust- uh, not an illustration, a simple breakdown of politicizing our messages, identifying with a political party. Mm-hmm. One, Jesus was so radical that the four political parties of his day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, and the Sanhedrins, all of this, I imagine them as political parties that wanted the attention of Jesus, that wanted to hijack the message of Jesus. And Jesus could speak to all of those parties from a very prophetic teacher, uh, Messiah, Redeemer's point of view, I think when we cease identifying with a political party, we will be able to become the prophetic voice to speak to all parties, because there's elements of truth in all parties, mm-hmm. and there's elements of false in all of the political parties that most especially in our modern-day America that is Democrat and Republican. And so, if we can avoid speaking from a political party point of view, and become prophetic, we will be able to get the message of the cross across the finish line, which is simple living peacefully together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. At the same time, we live in a very incredibly politicized environment and moment, and so I think that this is something that a lot of people struggle with. It's definitely something that I personally struggle with as someone who seeks to be civically engaged but I think I, I do cross that line sometimes of becoming too politicized, and I know I'm not the only one. So can you just speak a little bit further to what what advice do you give of how do we um, how do we be involved in civic engagement and um, speak to the the political moment that we find ourselves in without corrupting our spiritual views by um, by identifying and aligning ourselves with a political agenda rather than um, the message and the gospel of Jesus. Um, take a look at, um, I wouldn't want to, uh, uh, for example, all the movement seeking to address injustice amongst, uh, between law enforcement and communities of color. Mm-hmm. That's a very hot button issue that, uh, you see a rising and for a good cause. But I see the church being prophetic in the sense that it will say, Yes, the law enforcement, the militarized nature of our law enforcement is wrong, period. Mm -hmm. But the way to bring reconciliation is by not setting fire, throwing gasoline on fire. Mm 
Mm-hmm. But there's something that I learned in the, in King's principle, uh, as, as six steps to bring in reconciliation is you look at the top, down, and bottom up. Those two have to work in tandem to get them to a place of active social change. Mm-hmm. By, uh, by, uh, all this to say, when you look at uh, those at the top, are there people at the top that are caught up in a system of injustice that they themselves are longing for something better. Mm-hmm. You look for those kind of allies. Are there people at the bottom that are really feel oppressed, that are really oppressed not because of what uh, of their own doing, but because of systemic failure? You look at those and try and bring those two together, uh, because the the prophetic message of Jesus, as he addre- as Jesus addresses. The, 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 the educated elites of his day. He didn't just throw all of them under the bus. But he gave them poignant prophetic message by, that by making, bringing them down to realize that their message of, uh, their educated elitism, if I'll call it, it's actually undermining the entire system that they seek to address. Right. But at the same time, Jesus cared for the need of those that are oppressed by giving them a, a, a place to stand. And I think the message of the Church of the Brethren should be in the in our current political environment is to seek to find. Every community might be different. Uh, in our community, we looked at law enforcement. What, compel, what propelled my work with law enforcement stemmed from a 2009 shooting of an unarmed black teenager in the basement of a black church. And not because it was only in the basement of a black church, but there were over 20 kids under the age of five in a classroom, and that teenager was shot next door to them, and the door was wide open. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first knee-jerk reaction for everybody is to throw the police or the law enforcement under the bus. That was wrong. But it's to seek to understand what compelled you. What is it that makes you uh, act the way you act? And honestly, what I found out is the law enforcement themselves are afraid of their own life. And they are training. It's the way they are trained is training them to shoot first, then we figure out what to do later. So. My work with law enforcement is to teach its, I work with command staff and management, is to teach them to have another tool in their tool belt. Instead of shooting first, is to pre, to be proactive in addressing issues that will lead to, um, such a teenager leaving school, such a teenager feeling disconnected to society, such a teenager feeling I don't belong, if we can collaboratively address that problem before it even comes up, we are able to together address this challenge that we all face today together as a society. If we can collaboratively address what are the issues of injustice that's happening in our community, and every community is different, and I know there's a big overarching uh, sometimes policies that comes up from Washington that might might continue to feel like it's being just thrown down at people, but I think every community can address problem little by little, and before we realize it, we can be able to become a force to be reckoned with. Can you imagine if every church of the brethren across this land 
begin to look at ways that we can partner with the policymakers and the community to address issues of social change as well as spiritual decay in our society. Can you imagine the greater impact? We will become the, 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 I think we will become the conduit to which the revival that we've all been longing for can be able to come. Absolutely. Um, so I, I don't want to hold you for much longer, but I think I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about um, uh, kind of the denominational role that you have as well. So currently you're the moderator elect for the Church of the Brethren annual conference, right? Yes. And so that means that in a few months uh, you're going to have the big hat. You're going to be the moderator. Yeah. <laughs> so um, <laughs> what would you say? Uh, what would you say you're most looking forward to about becoming the moderator for the Church of the Brethren? I think the office of the moderator in the Church of the Brethren, uh, like I've, I'm beginning to find out more and more, it is purely the most altruistic service that God can ever call anyone to. Mm-hmm. It is the, what I mean by purely altruistic is you have got the biggest mic that's got no single power on that mic. <laughs> <laughs> if I'll say that way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You have the biggest mic that doesn't have any power. Right. So and and that is pure service. And you're doing it not because of the paycheck. You're doing it longing to move the church in the direction that God is leading the church to be in the twenty first century. So <laughs> I I am not particularly looking for some magic bullet theory to say out there, but I think I look at the state of the church and I long for us to dial in more individually, dial in more collaboratively as a community, and we can be able to move forward. Mm -hmm. And the question that I'm beginning to, that I've been wrestling with, what does it really mean to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Um, in the 21st century, how can we become a living parable for the church? Right. For this generation, not mm-hmm. just for the church of the brethren, for the church in general. Can people look at the church of the brethren and say, those are truly followers of Jesus, that our lives, our actions, and the words, how we relate with one another and how we relate with the community that God has called us to, mm-hmm. that the world around us will look at us and say there is something unique about them. Mm-hmm. Just as it was said about the early brethren, there is something unique about the donkers. And I will long to see that return. Right. Yeah, I think that, that that's a very important point, not just that the Church of the Brethren has kind of an obligation and opportunity to live into our faith witness in a way that impacts our communities at large. But also at the same time, we find ourselves um, just as a denomination in a pretty divided place. And I think that your background in conflict transformation is, is very important to speaking to that. So um, I, I guess my point in this question is when, when outside denominations and other people look towards the Church of the Brethren, they can't just see a, a denomination that's engaged globally and engaged domestically in their communities, but at the same time um, can't get along with one another. But they also have to see a fellowship that becomes a living parable by the way that they uh, sort out conflicts within themselves. And so how would you say that your 
principles of conflict transformation and just the biblical witness of nonviolence in peacemaking, how how should the Church of the Brethren seek to live into that as we um, deal with the the issues that have divided our denomination so so bitterly? I think I am. I have been doing some studies, scriptural reflection. What does Jesus really mean when the Bible says, I, I looked at the Decapolis, the ten cities that Jesus witnessed, uh, had its ministry. And I looked at all of this and I am trying to look at it from a church of the brethren's perspective. How do we relate one to another in a way that is honoring, in a way that gives dignity, in a way that does not put each other down? is to look at what is the strength that this brother, this sister brings to the table. And what is the strength that I bring to the table? What is the hope that we all have for this church called Church of the Brethren? And if we can walk towards the hope that we are called to, and this scripture has really been in my mind, Lately, that is, uh, when Jesus looked in Matthew chapter 9 from verse 35 and 36, when Jesus looks at, let me just read it because it is yeah, better please. read directly from scripture. Matthew 9, 35 and 36. Um, okay. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every diseases and sickness. When he saw the crowd, he was he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You see, when... As a church that seeks to be a movement, we are con- to continue the work of Jesus by continuing to teach in the villages, to preach the gospel of the good news of the kingdom. It's not just preach the gospel, but bre- preach about the kingdom of God that is here. And, and in our teaching, we minister healing through our service or through spiritual healing as well. And in every, with every sicknesses that we come across, because when we look at each other with the, with, through the eyes of Jesus in a compassionate and in a loving way, I think it has a long way to take us to where God wants this church, the direction that God is longing for the church of the practice. All right. Well, I, I can't think of a better way to end our interview. So thank you so much again for taking the time. Uh, I think that you've supplied a lot of really valuable insight and wisdom and and witness uh, for our listeners that I think they're really going to get a lot out of. Okay. Thank you so much. And I'm glad that we could connect this morning. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. You have a good day now. You too. Thanks. Well, there you have it. I hope that you've enjoyed listening to this interview with Samuel today, and thank you so much for tuning in. If you're interested in hearing more about uh, Samuel's ministry through the Center for Nonviolence and Conflict Transformation, you can find more information at nonviolencect.com. That's nonviolence, and then the letter C for conflict, and the letter T for transformation.com. Thank you so much.
That is one impressive guy. No, no, no. Make that two guys, and then some. For both of these men are powerful examples of how to live the Jesus way. And the people of Rockford Community Church of the Brethren certainly have their focus on the right prize. Do you feel as challenged by their activism and grassroots work in the city of Rockford as I do? After first listening to Samuel, I asked a few Dunker Punks, how do you know which of many challenges is the right one for you? Well, they got thinking about it, and as Samuel suggested in the interview, a person or a group or a church should identify the need that is right before them in their own community, then work to address that need. And as you do, you teach the way of Jesus with your very actions and manner. That is a powerful challenge, isn't it? It really puts your life and time and labor out there. Jesus said at the end of his big teaching of the Sermon on the Mount that whomever gives a cup of water to those who follow him will be rewarded. You can find that teaching at the end of chapter 10 in Matthew's Gospel. Among other teachings, he asked his disciples to let children come close to him and recommended them as examples of humility and vulnerability for all of us to follow. It seems to me that the ways of nonviolence and conflict transformation offer both a gift, as in that drink of needed water, and the example of humble vulnerability as a way to bring peace on earth. Samuel spoke of several ways he and his congregation work to transform conflict. Their skill training and mentoring, that coordinating they do, and the teaching of police officers, and teaching the police officers skills for mentoring, and the building relationships across the lines of age and culture and authority. So in what ways could you offer yourself to the mission of Jesus right where you are? This isn't something I or anyone can tell you. You have to listen to what is on your heart. If you feel drawn toward learning conflict transformation yourself, then I recommend the On Earth Peace Kingian Nonviolence Training. Their website, onearthpeace.org, has resources and information about where to start. Or maybe you're drawn to a particular service that already exists in your community. We have highlighted many on this podcast, from assisting past offenders who have been recently released from prison to transition to their new life, or helping those who need protection from violence in their family life. There are food banks and shelters and specialized service agencies of all kinds. What speaks to you? Or are you one or part of a group who will birth a new ministry, and I use that word intentionally, to meet a need in your community? The cup of cold water that you are hoping to give is what is promised to you, Dunker Punks, as you discern and begin to work in these areas of need. Water, both real and metaphoric, will come to you, and those who bring it might just be the next partner you need. That's your challenge for this episode. Take a cup of cold water, in some form, to someone who is serving in the world. Find your niche, and then be ready to receive the cup that is brought to you. For that nourishing water in their hand comes from God. Those who receive you are also receiving me, Jesus said, and those who receive me are receiving the one who sent me. Let that be the blessing that carries you into the challenges that lie ahead when you follow the Jesus way. 
I want to hear of your many efforts, so Snapchat me at Dunker Punk's Pod or Rev Nancy Fitz One. I'll see you or snap you soon. The Dunker Punks podcast is a collaborative effort in a cyber community of Jesus followers who seek to offer encouragement for the many ways we follow him. Our producer is Suzanne Lay, who edited the audio this week. Our music is written and performed by Jacob Krause. The Arlington Church of the Brethren sponsors this show. Our next episode features Elizabeth Ullery Swenson, who encourages us by sharing information about how Christ Church is changing and growing in new and very different ways. You can support this podcast by contacting us at Dunker Punk's Pod on most social media platforms. Thank you for listening.